What about his house in Tuscany? You mentioned that. Yeah. I'm invited. Mm. You know, when I told him it was beautiful there, out of the clear blue sky, he says there's nothing to rent. As if he doesn't want anyone else there. Why? I don't know. Maybe he's embarrassed by Americans. Yeah. Well, maybe there aren't any houses to rent there. In all of Tuscany? I wonder. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello folks. Hello. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a Seinfeld podcast where myself, Ivan, and my buddy Stephen talk about the secondary characters in every episode of the show, and we do the episodes in random order. And I was saying, Stephen, before we started recording, that this is our fifth last episode. We've uh, come so far. Yeah, definitely the home stretch. And uh, yeah, it's been a, an awesome ride, and uh, it's going to be sad to see it all finish, but lots of cool things coming up. Yeah, for, for sure. We'll uh, talk about that uh, you know, another time, so uh, stay tuned. If you want to listen to us, we are on basically any podcast service, Apple, Spotify, yada, yada, yada. Be sure to subscribe and uh, have a listen to our episodes and uh, leave us a five-star review if you could as well. That'll help a lot. Yeah, no, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can contact us by email as well, bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. We're on all forms of social media. All those details are in the show notes and you can support us financially as well. Yeah, on PayPal for one-off donations. And we do have a Patreon with bonus podcasts as well as this episode earlier than everyone else. You do get this one if you're on Patreon. So big thanks to our current subs, Holly, Nakia, Jeff, and Neil. So they get access to pretty much all our bonus stuff for $2 US a month. Yeah, pretty good deal if I do say so myself. And uh, like you said, Mm. they get access to our standard episodes a week earlier. Finally, we do have a Facebook group. It's called Seinfeldisms. It's the biggest Seinfeld community on the internet. Uh, Check it out if you want to join the fun. Uh, We're up to 138,000 members now, I believe, last time I checked. Growing. Yeah. Growing. Keeps growing, keeps growing, doesn't stop. uh, And lots of really cool things coming up. Uh, So check it out and uh, keep an eye on it. It's like the Bitcoin of Seinfeld pages. It just keeps growing. Like every day it goes up like five grand. Yeah, not as as chaotic as Bitcoin, but uh, yeah, definitely keeps growing. Yeah, it does. Yeah, really good. So anyway, check that one out. And uh, speaking of Seinfeldisms, every week we talk about any Seinfeld-related events that have happened in our lives. Uh, I have nothing this week for a second week in a row, but what about you, mate? What do you have? Yeah, I've got a couple. So one has happened before. I know it's happened to you. I was in Richmond the other day and I saw the uh, much-loved Larry David mural just on, I think it's Victoria Road. Through Richmond. Victoria Street. Yeah. Victoria yeah. Street. The yep. Latte Latte Larry's. Yep. Yep. That's right. So that was cool. Uh, and secondly, I went away for the weekend and the restaurant that I went to, or sorry, a cafe that I went to in the town that I went away to had a, a dog, I guess like a cafe mascot. And his name was Kramer. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Did he just like slide through the door? Oh, uh, yeah. No, no. That would have been good though <laughs> if he'd sort of slid through the door and, you know, yeah, said something kooky and made weird percussive sounds. But uh, no luck. He was just a big, he was more like Newman. He was kind of just big and fat and lazy. Oh, how cute. Yeah. <laughs> Kramer. Yeah. Newman, Love it. Newman, Newman body, Kramer name. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. I didn't get to ask. Um, we had a brief chat to the owner, but it was really busy. I did want to ask if it was a Seinfeld reference, but uh, yeah, didn't didn't uh, get around to doing that, but I'm just going to assume it was. Or plot twist, he's a fan of the film Kramer versus Kramer. Could be. <laughs> and you ask him like if he watches Seinfeld and he's like, no, nah, I don't watch that shit. Yeah, Seinfeld. Oh, I'm a Dustin Hoffman fan. Yeah, yep. No, 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 uh, no, uh, no Seinfeld here. Seinfeld free zone. No. Yeah, if that that's was, right. I'm a Friends fan. Yeah, if that or if that was the case, I would have just got up and left without even paying. <laughs> Another establishment to add to my blacklist. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah. 
Nice. What about Seinfeld News, buddy? Uh, zero this week. I searched high and okay. low, even for more obscure uh, pieces of Seinfeld News. No luck. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff has happened around the world recently, but nothing Seinfeld related. So there you go. Nice and quick. Yeah, we're uh, we're smashing through it so far. <laughs> Indeed. I reckon let's not take a break now. Let's just get straight into it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Feeling, uh, yeah, I'm feeling the same. Taking a break now would be a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have, it would be. <laughs> a, break, a break is something you have to earn. It's like, it's, yeah, like, right. it's like starting work, replying to one email and going, oh, all right, well, I better go get a coffee now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome to Bidvavas. We'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, That's right. Anyway, we are doing from season seven, episode three, the Maestro, our penultimate season seven episode for the entire podcast series. So uh, our final season seven episode will come a bit later, but this is the second last one in the series. So this one first aired in the US on October fifth, nineteen ninety five, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Larry David. In this episode, Kramer is pursuing his lawsuit against a coffee shop for selling him coffee that was too hot, and that happened in the postponement, the episode before this one. Uh, Jackie Childs makes his first appearance on the show. He's played by Phil Morris. He represents Kramer and thinks that they'll make a fortune. He may have a problem when Elaine's new boyfriend, the Maestro, played by Mark Metcalf, gives him a balm that cleans up his burn mark overnight. The Maestro insists that everyone call him Maestro, which is just a bit too pretentious. Meanwhile, George goes shopping with Susan at a store owned by her family. Uh, He's not too keen on the clothes she thinks he could wear, and he's bothered by the fact that the security guard, Gary Yates, must stand all day. And uh, other secondary characters, of course, Susan, played by Heidi Swedberg, a sissy He's uh, (laughs) Poppy's uncle. who uh, knows, you know, he's obviously in the Mafia, played by Paul Michael, and Tim Bagley plays the roster's manager. So, Stephen, what trivia do you have, bud? Yeah, the first bit of trivia I have, and uh, this is one of my favourite ones that we've read out in a little while, the mispronunciations uh, done by uh, Michael Richards as Kramer in this episode, and also, I think, the gum. In this episode, he says uh, cafe latte. He sort of emphasises it weirdly. And uh, in the gum, I think he says theatre. Theatre. I always thought that they were choices by Michael just to make Kramer, you know, extra quick quirky or add another quirk, but they're unintentional. And they were unscripted. And there you go. So yeah, Michael just uh, turned it up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah, was in yeah. the moment. I loved it. I, I like the term cafe latte. Cafe latte sounds very, uh, very fancy. It sounds yeah. more like a, it sounds more like a French drink than an Italian drink. I think uh, a lot of people who aren't Australian probably just say cafe latte, but because Australians yeah. like to shorten everything, uh, we just call it a latte here. They say in Italy you should never ask for a latte because if you do, they'll give you a cup of milk. It's so funny. I was about to say that actually happened to me when I was in Rome in two thousand and eight. <laughs> right. Uh, I was with my girlfriend at the time and uh, I went into a coffee shop and I was very insistent. The barista kept on saying latte and I was like, see, sí, latte. And after about three times, he just goes, okay. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> I and I complained to my girlfriend yeah. at the time. I was like, that guy was really weird. He kept on wanting me to to confirm latte. And, uh, you know, that was a bit odd. And then he just went, okay. And then a couple of minutes later, he brought out a glass of hot milk and uh, I, felt nice. very, I felt very stupid. And it, 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 all, it all clicked. I was like, oh, latte. I yeah, should it makes sense. Because, uh, yeah. No, yeah, cafe latte, yeah. I'm used to, like, since I've gone to Italy, I'm used to saying cafe latte back here in Melbourne. Yeah. But in Melbourne, you can get away with latte quite easily. Oh, you can get away with that anywhere in Australia. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, uh, you know, regular coffee drinkers say yeah. cafe latte. You know, maybe <laughs> if people just want to be correct or if they're a bit fancy or if they're just inexperienced coffee drinkers, I think I think 99.9% of Australians say latte all the time. Give me a cappuccino, mate. A cappa. Yeah. Even cappuccinos, it's mostly cap these days. A cap, yeah. I just have a a cap. 
just cap. Soy cap, almond Soy cap. cap. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It's almost Any like, um, you know, when you're in a coffee shop and you hear the baristas call out the orders or like the wait staff will call out the orders to the baristas to make it or they'll call out the orders to you to pick it up. It's almost like the, the abbreviations they use has has just sort of been picked up by the general public because you, you often hear yeah. that. It'll be like half strength or like half cap, two sugar or something, which is like a half strength <laughs> cappuccino with two sugars. But now mm. people now people just in the public say that. So it's almost like it's yeah. bled over a bit. It's really weird. Yeah, I've never heard heard someone say shug though yeah i've heard that Shug. A few times. Shug. Shug. okay yeah. or, never heard it okay <laughs> yeah or like just or just like half cap with two yeah oh yeah 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 that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. Well, there you go well obviously you we've never put it in our pants trying to go into a cinema though uh no well not intentionally i have spilled <laughs> many times I've yeah spilled lots of things but uh, yeah, never, mm-hmm. never, never uh, intentionally. That's right. Anyway, I feel like because this is the first ever episode with Jackie Charles and at the famous Jackie Charles, and we have done a very special episode of What's the Deal with on him. So go back and listen to that one. Jerry, apparently in his own Phil Morris's audition, uh, he was so impressed by Phil's audition that he turned up the air conditioning and he remarked, you're so funny, you're making me sweat. Pretty good, uh, pretty big accolade there. Yeah, that would be an awesome compliment, especially coming from a comedy legend and the person that's deciding whether you're going to be in the show. That would be a good ego boost. And then we see Jackie several more times in the series. Yeah, what I really like about, and I only really realized in this episode, is, you know, some some of the more major secondary characters, the first episode, you know, they're still kind of feeling it out and it might not be until the second or third episode that they're, the full, they're their full selves, you know, whereas from the first scene, the first words that come out of Jackie's mouth, it's just, it's perfect you know there's no there's no sort of he's still trying to figure out who jackie charles is it's just from the first scene hit the ground running he is Mm -hmm. exactly who he is which i really appreciate yeah he's quite consistent yeah 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 i'm just thinking of like say newman and obviously characters evolve but newman in say season three four five is less maniacal um he's still he's still a creep but he's not as dramatic and shakespearean and you know it takes him a while to fully become his true self i guess whereas jackie charles Mm -hmm. is just like you said consistent he's from the first scene, you know exactly who he is and, and what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's one of my favourite secondaries for sure. Yeah, I think he's uh, one of, you know, a uh, universally loved secondary. Yeah, especially on Seinfeldisms too. Lots of Jackie Charles quotes on the page. Yeah, he would be top probably five or ten most secondary quoted or posted character for sure. Yeah, and uh, the Kramer's Hot Coffee lawsuit, it's a nod to the infamous 1994 case in which Stella Liebeck, a 79-year-old woman, won large cash damages by suing McDonald's after suffering third-degree burns on her thighs from a cup of extremely hot coffee and I'm pretty sure I might have mentioned this trivia fact when we did the postponement a while ago but yeah this is uh, this is what happened it was actually a parody of what happened in real life a very famous or an infamous case in the 90s yeah this is one of those like culture defining situations even when I was 10 11 like around when this happened I just remember it being headline news I guess because it was so significant especially in you know American culture in a way because you know America's got the reputation of being quite sue happy um, you know people are quite litigious over there you know that's why there's a lot mm. of like no cash no win lawyers those sorts of things oh kramer you're quite litigious oh i can be litigious oh i can be litigious <laughs> great word as well oh it yeah, is and this and i don't know if that that culture in america existed before the 90s this lawsuit seems to be uh, a landmark in that sort of you know part of american culture that sue happy everyone gets sued 
you know, everyone's got liability insurance type thing. Well, luckily, we're not really like that over here. Not as much. I mean, there's, there's not still, as much. Yeah, people are people are still pretty. They can get on their 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 Sioux horse a bit over here, which is a bit of. <laughs> a, you know, people, I don't know. People yeah. like when people fuck up, they don't want to take responsibility. Like you know, I, yeah, I remember when I was growing up in the suburb I grew up in, a woman tripped over a very obvious crack in the pathway, and she sued the the council. And it's like, well, the council can't provide 100% perfect footpaths all the time, every time. You know, it, I don't know. I just think that that's a case of, well, you fucked up. Just just deal with it. Don't don't blame others because you didn't see a big, very obvious crack. And let me guess she won, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. I just remember reading mm. about it in the local paper, you know, in the late 90s or early 2000s. And I just thought, uh, I don't know, maybe... I, I'm always. I mean, if, if the fall, if the sidewalk fell out from under you while you were walking, yeah. and you fell into a sinkhole or something, fair enough. But if you see a crack and you you trip on it, it's kind of your fault. Yeah, it's it's like like I understand that you know you shouldn't have to worry about tripping over a, a sidewalk, and the council does have the responsibility of providing safe walkways. But at the same time, by suing them, you're kind of implying that all walkway or every single part of council property should be 100% safe 100% of the time which is just unrealistic so yeah yep. it, it was a bit bit uh, bit dodgy <laughs> a bit dodgy <laughs> Now she's getting free concreting for the rest of her life. Yeah, free footpaths. Like Kramer with the cafe lattes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> free footpaths. Free concreting. Free, uh, free yeah. carpentry. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> anyway, let's take a quick break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about some secondary characters from The Maestro. You're listening to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. So let's talk about Stephen Bob Cobb, a.k.a. Maestro, the, uh, I guess, the eponymous character that this episode is named after. Uh, he's played by Mark Metcalf. Uh, he also appears in Season 7's The Doll, which we recorded, I think, maybe two months ago or thereabouts, month and a half ago. Um, we've already listed his credits in that episode, so we won't say what he's been in. So, uh, yeah, check that one out. I won't repeat myself <laughs> with what Mark's done in his career. So this is the first of two appearances for The Maestro, Steve. And, uh, yeah, we can see that he's a very stuck up you know kind of guy and he likes being called maestro even though he works you know he he does uh, maestroing for a police band yeah i think we when we in the doll we did say that he probably wants the accolade and the prestige of being called maestro because he you know maybe he doesn't see himself as successful as he thinks he should be you know i think we also talked about how in the conducting world there's probably a lot of people going after very few elite level jobs so yes you know, there's yep. a lot of there's a lot of dejection and a lot of maybe even bitterness and a lot of insecurity. So I think him being called Maestro or insisting that people call him Maestro, even though he's a very low end, not low end, but uh, you know, not a high profile conductor. That's yeah. his that's his way of making himself feel better about the fact that you know he may never or he'll probably never reach the the big time. Yeah, he's more of a volunteer Maestro more than a professional paid one. Yeah, I mean, obviously his passion is, um, you know, is unwavering. The fact that he just pulls up in a car and he's conducting in the middle of uh, New York and doesn't care about what anyone thinks about it. He mm. obviously loves what he does, which is which is commendable. But yeah, the constant insistence, and it's not just the insistence, but it's getting upset when people forget, you know, and and just being really really bothered when people don't even know, you know, when Elaine when they're on the date and uh, she said, "Oh, what are you having to eat, Bob?" and he kind of he has to send the waiter away and make a big big deal out of. Um, you know, out of being called maestro. And then he gets yeah. a bit stroppy when Elaine pushes back. You know, she's not too, she's not rude or anything, but she's a bit sort of like, she's a bit confused, I guess, or just a bit like, eh, what? And yeah. you know, she pushes back softly. And even then he, get, he he starts to get a bit stroppy. He's like, well, I suppose Leonard Bernstein can be called maestro. So 
the fact that he insists but then also gets upset when people don't comply 100%, yeah, it says a lot about, uh, you know, a deep insecurity, I think. Yeah, if he's very insecure, he can, he can become quite ropeable if he doesn't get called maestro. I don't know if we mentioned this in the doll, but I feel like with Bob Cobb, I feel like he doesn't like his name and maybe he's been teased growing up in school, you know, like Bob Cobb, Cobb of Corn or yeah. something like that. And I think it's probably really affected him psychologically. So he'd rather not be called by Bob Cobb because, you know, when someone calls him Bob or Bob Cobb, you know, to his face, he gets really upset and he insists on Maestro. I feel like as well, in addition to Maestro, you know, Bob not being too happy in the fact that he's not doing what he loves professionally. I also feel like it's also a cover for not wanting to be called Bob Cobb as well. Yeah. I mean, George and uh, who else? There's someone else in this episode is like Bob Cobb. You know, even they're just like, what are oh, we- Jerry as well. Yeah. Jerry does. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think Kramer too. No, Kramer. Oh, no, Kramer and Maestro are already friends. Yeah. Pretty sure. I just yeah. remember George going, Bob Cobb. You know, he doesn't know who he is. Bob Cobb. When Jerry, when Jerry <laughs> says who he is, he, he realizes. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right that the name Bob Cobb would be used against him, you know, by kids when he was a kid. You know, yeah. He teased a lot for it. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and I think, the name Maestro certainly hides his insecurities. Yeah. I think, I think the Maestro, I think like, I think what we can say is that him insisting on being called Maestro is partially because he, you know, feels, you know, dejected and, you know, just insecure about where he is in the conducting world, as well as just a general cover for his name that, you know, he used to get teased for a lot. You know, I think it's it, it serves yeah. it serves a few purposes. It it does. I mean, there's different ways you can look at it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, sure. I, I would I would assume that it's for both reasons. Why do and you I, think Elaine is attracted to him? I think because he's got an air of you know he likes the finer things in life. He likes Tuscany, and I'm imagining he likes wine and good food, and you know he is. And and Elaine is attracted to those sorts of things. She does tend to go for men who are well read, well educated, mm. a bit more yeah. refined. And you know, yeah, I don't yeah. know how. I mean, Bob Cobb is obviously wealthy enough to afford a house in Tuscany, which and 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 live in New York, so he's obviously not doing too bad, you know. So I, I think it's just that, and the fact that he's just a bit kooky. I think uh, you know, Elaine's at least at the start intrigued, you know, yeah. and you know, and he is a charming man. He's very well spoken. He's very flirtatious to her, whilst also being respectful. So you know, I can see why Elaine would be attracted to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also she likes classical music as well. I mean, yeah. when Bob has Verde on the, you know, in the cast area, she's like, ah, Verde, perfect. And then she yeah, starts she, singing La Donna Mumbley. Yeah, she knows the words and she's very much into, um, you know, the conducting. She's very animated. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think she appreciates just sort of who he is and what he likes. Yeah, and the fact that, like, even though, like, you know, he she doesn't like calling him maestro, she'd rather call him Bob, she uh, still likes him enough to go to Tuscany with him to stay in his house. Well, to be fair, she did say, Jerry said, you know, did did he insist on calling you maestro? And she said at first she was a bit resistant, but then she was okay with it. So Yeah, she's like, yeah, true, yeah. She yeah, kind of got over it. Yeah, We've talked about, and it's well known, that Elaine is probably the smartest out of the core four, or at least the most intellectually smart. But uh, Most successful, is- too. Yeah, yeah. She also is quite shallow. You know, she does tend to go for men who maybe have a bit more money or, you know, maybe have a bit more material, like access to, you know, material things. So I think, I still think she would be into him and I still think she would at least go out with him a few times, even if he didn't have the house in Tuscany. But that definitely makes it easier for her to, to be with him. Yeah. Interesting how like he does have the house in Tuscany and it's it's funny how Ch- uh, Sissio, the um the like the godfather type character he says to rent one is like 12 million lira or 17 million lira and it's what what is like 12 million lira it's- and it's equivalent to like 
I think he says 4 million lira. Oh, 4 million, yeah. And it's equivalent to like 1,200 or 1,700 US dollars or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it goes to show how, you know, how devalued the lira was at the time. Probably not that bad, but, you know, pretty bad. Obviously, now the lira doesn't exist. It's funny how Bob, I feel like the exchange rate probably helped Bob when he went to Tuscany. Mm. You know, finding a, finding a place in Tuscany probably cost him like maybe like 20 grand or something to buy, yeah. you know, because some of these small European villages, they have houses which are like like a few grand, 10 grand, you know, like really quiet villages away from everything. So I feel like Bob probably took advantage of the situation. He might have even paid in like US dollars at the time. Yeah, no, he could have, definitely. Like he said, he just got lucky. You know, he was there, he fell yeah. in love and it just happened to be for sale. I think, uh, yeah, the price definitely also played a part. Helped him out a lot, uh, the yeah. good old exchange rate. Yeah, for sure. I think his, when the US uh, dollar was really strong. Yeah, definitely. I think his yeah. um, insistence that Jerry not look for a place, you know, even when Jerry doesn't even say that he is, he's just like, oh, here it's beautiful out there. And he goes, well, if you're thinking of looking for a place, don't bother. And Jerry just don't goes, there's nothing around. Yeah. Jerry just goes, what? Like, he's like, what are you even talking about? I think yeah. it's a similar, it comes from a similar place to being insist, being insistent that people call him maestro, which is yeah. that, well, if I have a villa in, or if I have anything in Tuscany that adds to my air of prestige and, and refinement, and I don't want anyone to sort of water that down. And, you know, Jerry is not a refined person, smart guy, but not a refined person in terms of taste. So if Jerry also owns an, uh, uh, you know, anything in Tuscany, I think for him, he sees that as like a threat or, or you know, diluting his prestige by saying, yes, I own a, a villa in Tuscany. Yeah, it brings down the whole, yeah. yeah, it brings down the whole romantic idea yeah. of owning something in Tuscany. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, it is an impressive thing. If, if, if someone I knew owned a villa in Tuscany, I'd be like, wow, that's really great. So, you know, it just, it just allows him to have that slight to maintain that slight snobbishness and i just think it comes from the same place as being insistent that people call him maestro yeah because even we in the in the credits scene where jerry and kramer turn up you know in tuscany and they get out of the cab you can see the maestro is very uh not impressed yeah and uh they look out the window and they see them uh you know having having a bit of a argy bargy with the the taxi driver and uh they both yeah. just shake their heads and, and go back in yeah he's uh, go back in yeah he's obviously so he's not happy no not at all clearly and uh, yeah like i said we do see the maestro again in the doll uh, but he's not as prominent in that one yeah no this is definitely the the main episode for him yeah for sure hey, do you have any other notes on him oh no that was it all right mate who are we talking about next uh let's talk about chichio Chichio, played by paul michael he's appeared in dark shadows and hill street blues and he passed away in his 80s in the year 2011 so chichio he is indeed poppy's uncle so poppy uh obviously well not probably not knowingly or maybe he does know but fled but uh he uh has ties to the mafia obviously chichio is like the stereotypical godfather <laughs> In his white suit and his hat and you know he's got his uh consolieri you know by or by his side and obviously he's probably he's obviously part of the new york you know um, five families maybe of, of mafia uh, he's part of that kind of you know the gotti and all those kind of um all those families yeah i couldn't tell whether he would be part of the five families because they were you know american italians and i don't think in the history of the five families there were any italian because he's obviously italian born because he's got a very thick accent and he wants yeah. maybe lira you know he's obviously i mean his english is good he's obviously been in america for a while but uh mm. he definitely grew up and you know probably even stayed in italy until his like early adulthood maybe in his 20s or something yeah oh um, i didn't mean he was part of the five families i mean he kind of worked with those families oh, okay. and yeah, like in that, in that scene that. yeah that's he what i mean in that world. 
okay, right, right. It right. was in that world, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I don't mean. think, unless you go back to the original um, family founders, you know, like Lucky Luciano and stuff, pretty much after them, after that generation in the 20s and 30s, all of the, the heads and even the sort of middle management of the family were all American, Italian. Yeah. I, I do remember in the 70s and 80s, I think they, um, during the, I think it was called the French Connection, and it was like a big drug uh, heroin operation through France and stuff. They brought over a lot of Sicilian proper Cosa Nostra uh, members to New York, but they were like, they were just like the low end soldiers. And I think they called them the Zips. Mm. That was their sort of right. like derogatory name towards these, you know, because they're, they, they're, you know, they're all mafia guys, the Italians and the Americans, but culturally they're different. They think about things differently. They do their mafia stuff differently because it's different countries and different norms and cultures. But yeah, I don't think any of them ever ascended to even like middle management, definitely not upper management. No. But yeah, I think you're yeah, right yeah. in that. Obviously, he's a godfather, but not directly in the five, any of the five families. In the five families, no. I, I probably, I feel like as well that maybe Ciccio was probably like a target in Italy. Like maybe someone tried oh, okay, to yeah. assassinate him or something and then he fled. Yeah. And maybe uh, he was able to gain alliances in New York and then he's kind of protected and he's probably gone up in the rankings. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. made his bones and stuff or maybe he was either already like a godfather in italy and then moved or maybe he was younger you know like vito corleone and in, in the godfather you know you see in yeah you know, part two how vito you know becomes comes to america and stuff like what what he does maybe it was like a similar story like that yeah no that's that's a possibility i like him wherever he's from or well, not wherever he's from <laughs> but uh, whatever his situation is in terms of uh, the mafia in new york i really like him i just love how uh yeah at, it's he's just of- so such so, so stereotypical Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it. Yeah, they're not they're not really um breaking the the mold for gangsters, but uh, especially Godfather gangsters. Like you said, his consigliere is there, coming to whisper in his ear, and and Jerry. That's when Jerry realizes, oh, hang on, this guy's not just a normal Italian guy. He's a he's a mafia guy. He's um, mafia. What have I got myself into? Yeah, 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 yeah. What I really liked, I don't know if it was intentional or if it just sort of how it panned out. You know, when Jerry first meets him, and Jerry says, you know, I'm just wanting to know if there's any any places for rent, and uh, and Ciccio says, yeah, you know, here are the keys, and you write me a check it's kind of implied that he doesn't understand what jerry's saying and that he's confused but then and then yeah. right at the end when jerry says again no no i don't want to rent your place i'm just wanting to know if there are any places to rent in general he says yeah this one capiche so when yeah. jerry first says you know i just want to know if there's any place to rent him insisting that he rents his place is based on confusion or what you think is confusion but then you know the, the second part of that little scene is no no he's not confused he's uh he understands exactly what jerry's wanting no of he's, course uh, you know he understands he, he's, he's making jerry he's kind of um, extorting him it's like extortion yeah 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 he's just saying yes yeah. this one, you will rent this one and uh, you will rent this one and there'll be consequences he's implying there'll be consequences if you don't yeah but i'm, I'm just saying like the first half it's kind of like when you first watch the scene, you think that Ciccio is not understanding where Jerry's coming from, that, you know, he he's misunderstood what he's saying, but then it's revealed that, that he's understood the whole time. That's all. It's just it's just like a, a yeah. change in where you think Ciccio is coming from. That's all. Yeah. You think he's like a bumbling, aloof kind of, you know, Italian yeah, guy. And then you realize he's a calculating, you know, he's a he's like a head of the mafia family. And he's very cold and calculating. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll first, like get you under his thumb. Yeah. The first half, it's just like. Oh, he's just confused about Jerry's specific question. You know, he's misunderstood and he thinks that Jerry wants to rent out his place. But then the second half, you're like, oh, no, no. He knew all along. He knows that Jerry is not actually asking to rent his place, but he's still going to make him But he's going to make him rent it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't think $1,200 will do much, really. But I think it's just to show that, you know, Jerry really, he basically Jerry realized at that point that he got too far in. He probably should have kept like the whole idea as a curiosity rather than trying to venture in. And uh, yeah, he, he went, he even got the after involved yeah i mean you know it was jerry
Jerry Jerry wasn't to know, but uh, yeah, he can't he can't really do much. Yeah. When um, but but like you know, George kind of completely disarms Jerry and and just reveals the pointlessness of his plot. I mean, his plot. I really like <laughs> he Jerry's does. plot. It's but interesting. When, yeah, it just completely yeah. unravels everything when he just goes, "What are you renting a house in Tuscany?" No, and he's like, "So what do you care?" And he just so walks. What do you off. care? And then Jerry's and just I love, yeah. like, like, yeah, like what? What am I doing? Why am what I? Am why I am I insisting? And usually it's George with the weird ideas, and then yeah. Jerry dismisses them. I yeah. like how this time it's actually Jerry with the weird idea, and then George is being like the reasonable one. Yeah. And actually, just on that, you know, Jerry at first is a bit derisive to George's plan of getting the security guard a chair. But then the next scene, you know, when he after George goes to see the security guard and they're talking about it in Monks, Jerry's actually quite into the idea. You know, he's suggesting different chairs to him and, uh, you know, he's assessing George's idea. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, a bar stool would he'd be able to, you know, survey the area and stuff. So even that dynamic's flipped where Jerry's actually into George's, you know, at first he's, he doesn't like his idea, but then, you know, a little while he really later gets into he's it. into it. Yeah. I guess the theme for this episode is understanding and tolerance you know elaine eventually succumbing to calling bob the maestro you know eventually giving in and then uh you know jerry with the with the barstool idea you know at first not being happy with the chair idea and then he gets more involved and accepts it and uh, then (laughs) with the mafia it's just like it's all about forgiveness yeah redemption yeah another theme (laughs) so many different themes in episodes we've noticed lately yeah, getting deep. Very deep indeed. Anyway, um, do you have any other notes on Chiu? No, but I, I really loved him. I thought it was yeah. hilarious. I mean, even yeah, though he was he, fun. He, yeah, there's only one he scene, but he was really stereotype. good. He, of course. It was done really well. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Very well done. Anyway, let's talk about the security guard. He's played by Gary Yates. He's known for The Tower and In the Heat of the Night, among many other things. He's just like, he's. A, I feel like he's probably a bit stern, but I don't think he really cares. Like, I feel like he does his job, but yeah. he, like, you know, when George says, oh, do you want a chair? And he goes, no, I don't want a chair. Like, I just want to do my job. You know, if someone offered you a chair, would you take it? And he goes, yeah, I guess so. So I think he just kind of just wants George to leave him alone, just do his job. Yeah, I think I think he's a bit a bit stern and a bit staunch with most people because he kind of has to be. But, you know, George, like, I think once George asks him how he feels about something, you know, he starts to connect with him a bit more, not just, you know, being a, a weird customer talking about a chair when he's like, what do you think about a chair? He lightens up a bit. He relaxes a tiny bit. So, yeah, I, I think he's just, you know, just a, a good capable security guard and once he realizes that george is not a threat i think maybe i don't think he assesses george as a threat but more just as a curiosity like what's where's this guy coming from like why is this yeah what, what, what's, what's his intent yeah is he trying to distract me while someone else robs a store like it, it was it's a strange interaction but um you know once he realizes that oh no no he's just concerned about my well-being he he relaxes a tiny bit more yeah, and he, and he becomes too relaxed because we see the final yeah. scene where, uh, you know, the, the, the store, you know, the store obviously has like bespoke clothing and, you know, it's very like the Rosses because it is owned by the Rosses' uncle, like Susan's uncle. Yep. So it's obviously very bespoke high-end clothing. Yep. And uh, the store gets robbed and the security guard's asleep. So he gets a bit too comfortable in the chair. Yeah, the chair was a bad idea in the end. Very bad idea, yeah. I, I love how George had good intentions to, like, yeah. to help the security guard and then like the good intentions backfired. It's good. Like you think maybe George is he's thinking about other people for once rather than himself and then the act of being you know giving or providing goodwill or something to help out you know it kind of backfires in the end and it causes the store to get robbed yeah i mean even um like even though george's heart's in the right place he's still being quite selfish about it like he's just sort of completely going past like going against susan's wishes he doesn't ask her uncle his future uncle you know he's still being a bit 
uh, pig-headed about it. He's like, no, no, this is the right thing to do, and I don't care what anyone says. So I think if he if he you know talked a bit more about it, like maybe just floated the idea to Susan's uncle, and you know had a bit of a chat about it, and you know thought it through a bit more, maybe he could have avoided. Maybe he could have supplied him something to sit down on, but not so not so much of a relaxing chair that he falls asleep. George just sort of fixates yeah. on the idea, and and that's it. So yeah, his heart's in the right place, but it's it's still a bit. He's still a bit sort of ignorant, a bit selfish about it. Yeah, v- yeah. very true. Yeah. Yeah. I'll correct. I'll clarify what I'm saying. Again, his intention is good. Just the execution of that intention is a bit poorly thought out. Um, yeah, very poorly. Well, he didn't expect the security guard to fall asleep, though. No, no, no. But I, I, think, I think if he chatted to the security guard a bit more and maybe his uncle and, you know, just, just took a bit more time to think, is this a good idea rather than just it is a good idea. You know, maybe someone would have brought up in, in those consultations or, you know, if they sat down and had a meeting of like, hey, I really think your security guard would uh, benefit from a chair. What do you think? And they had a bit of a chat about it and just discussed all of the possible ramifications from it. I'm sure someone would have gone, maybe he'll fall asleep. You know, it could have it could have been an idea that could have come up and then they would have gone, oh, well, maybe it's not a maybe we can find find a solution where he can relax but he's still going to be alert i don't know it just he just he decided on it and there was no further thinking through of it that's all no that's all Ah <laughs> uh, well uh, george i guess george you know he had intentions like good intentions for once but uh you once again didn't go through yeah and i love it's <laughs> it's pretty funny how george you know is as soon as uh susan's like i'm not really concerned what are you talking about is in a monologue is you know i'm I can't believe I'm marrying a person who doesn't care that this man's on his feet for eight hours a day with, uh, you know, with no chair. You know, he's judging <laughs> Susan, you know, and and saying that she's like this sort of unethical, unconcerning person. But yeah, it just doesn't you know, think about others. Yeah, who doesn't think about others? But George is the most selfish out of any character. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. It's funny how George is like, like, who am I marrying? This woman is 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 horrible. But uh, you know, it's almost George like a bizarro like, episode, wasn't it? Yeah, Everything yeah, yeah. Like was George, just topsy like, turvy with Jerry, George, everyone, yeah, just, everyone's just weird. Zero self awareness and total hypocrisy. Nah, <laughs> but that's what we love. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess the final characters we'll talk about are the you want to talk about the Java World executives, right? Uh yeah. Look, they. I mean, they're just typical business people. You know, they're worried about brand image. They just want to make it go away, which is pretty. pretty yeah, classic. get rid of Kramer. Give him free coffee for life, which Kramer, you know, <laughs> accepts. But then he tries to go into a store and they don't give him the uh, the thing. He's got the files, you know, saying that he he can get the coffee. So yeah, he feels like he's been ripped off yeah yeah i didn't actually think about it but just it just occurred to me maybe they're just um cutting his coffee off because they're concerned about his health yeah well i I don't think they're just going high on caffeine yeah i don't think they're doing it to spite him or to you know contravene his uh offer i think it's more a case of like this might actually affect your health so we're just going to be responsible here we'll give you as much free coffee as you want you've got to we've already given you five (laughs) yeah we'll we'll give you we'll give you as much free coffee as you want but you've got to you know space them out a bit or do it a bit more sensibly that's that's the only reason i think they were cutting him off because he was obviously you know very high and very um, jittery yeah because sometimes you see like these food competitions once in a while say you're watching like uh, cricket or tennis or something like over the years there have been competitions where you win like free no obviously not not through a court case but you win like free you know kfc or something for like a year or something like that and then it's not like you know you can get a hundred dollars worth a day it's like a limit so it's like yeah. maximum like 20 or 30 dollars a week or something like that worth of kfc or yeah. whatever kind of thing so yeah i feel like maybe they had like a terms and condition thing saying you know you can get free coffee but you can have a limit of like x amount which was like in the terms and conditions in the settlement but he did kramer didn't read it well he says he holds out the contract and he says see it says right there i can have as much free coffee as i want maybe it clarified what that actually meant further down it's like yes you can have yeah. as much free coffee as you want but maybe like two a day or something six, yeah six pages later it actually says it defines an amount like, um, there's like a daily limit and they keep kramer like on file <laughs> 
you know, so they know who he is. Yeah. If you see this man walk into your franchise, do not give him coffee or just give him one. Yeah. He's yeah. a very recognizable person. Gonna say it's hard to forget. Uh, hard to forget. Uh, but yeah. going back to the executives, obviously, you know, because in real life, this whole McDonald's case, it was a big deal. And yep. Java World, this is obviously in in the Seinfeld universe as well as the real real world. It was a very unprecedented court case. Mm-hmm. So Java World didn't want to be like the test case with this kind of <laughs> these kind of proceedings. They didn't want to, you know, they didn't want it to be found that they were indeed responsible for the uh, the heat in the coffee cup and the and the faulty uh, cap as well. So I feel like, yeah, you're right. It was just damage control, and they were saying, you know what, let's just they were probably thinking, you know, they were going to have a fight on their hands. So they were thinking, let's just offer this guy free coffee and see how he goes. And they were probably thinking that he'd fight for it. Yeah. But they're really, really stunned when Kramer, you know, offers it, you know, accepts it before the guy even, you know, reads out the entire thing. You know, he just, he accept, he says, I'll take it and shakes his hand. And they're all stunned. They're like, okay, great. We're off the hook. Yeah, I think Kramer was. We, so- thought, we thought we'd be in a court battle for a few years. Yeah, no, definitely it was a, um, an unintended win. And I think it's because Kramer was so concerned about losing because he didn't have evidence of the burns anymore that he. He thought, oh, wow, they're actually offering me something. I expected nothing. So I'll just take it. You know, he didn't. He yeah. Didn't, he didn't consider the whole offer first. He, he yeah. Was, he thought the bomb yeah. would literally wipe away his uh, opportunity to get something. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, true. And yeah. Jackie, uh, this is the first of his many public humiliations. <laughs> That's right. The other thing, it's not about the executives per se, but I thought it was a nice, I don't know, it was nice to see, uh, you know, obviously these days representation is a pretty big thing that's talked about and uh, it's it's um, considered a lot, I guess, by casting producers and, and, and things like that. It was nice to see an African-American woman in an executive role amongst a couple of yeah. white dudes. And, and obviously Jackie being an African-American man as well. It was, um, you know, not a huge deal. Like Seinfeld, I think, did a pretty good job for representation, especially for the time. But yeah, it was it was just it was just something I noticed. I was like, oh, that's nice. Usually it's, you know, the, the, the next thing that comes to mind is Susan being a, a woman executive at NBC. But, you know, she's a not that it matters, but she's a white woman. Don't want yeah, to get too much I get into what you the, mean. Yeah, it was just it was just a it was just something I a noticed. Person, I to see a person it. of color in like an executive position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, it was just again, it wasn't a big deal. It was just um just something I noticed and something I just wanted to to mention because i thought it was um you know it was a it was a nice thing um very cool yeah the final thing that i thought about the executives and i don't think it's a very i think it's a pretty flimsy thought but uh it's just something that occurred to me was uh you know, when they, they're considering what they're going to offer Kramer before they turn up, you know, they're like, we'll just offer him $50,000 and free coffee at all of our stores. It's funny how he start, when he starts talking about the offer to Kramer, the first that he leads in with the free coffee part and then the 50 grand maybe he thought you know maybe there's a really small chance if i just mention the free coffee and they accept before the 50 grand maybe i'll just try my luck to see if we can get away with not giving the 50 grand as part of the offer yeah know, just, yeah, it just yeah it was funny that he mentioned 50 grand and then free coffee but then he flipped those details around when he was actually talking to kramer and part of yeah. me thought yeah maybe maybe he just thought you know I'll, I'll mention the free coffee see if he'll jump up at the offer before the yeah no no that yeah because that was the plan the plan was they'll try really low offering something really low and most people if they've been burnt by mm. someone's product they'll be like no i don't want free coffee oh, i'd never step foot in your establishment ever again i want cash mm. and, and then they'll say okay 50 grand which you know to a corporation is nothing you know yep. fifty thousand dollars to keep it quiet and then i guess they would have just escalated it you know if, if they yep. said uh, no we don't want that so yeah no it makes sense yeah yeah it yeah. would have been pretty like stupid if they went for the 50 grand then free coffee as well yeah you know 
But yeah, I get what you mean. They, they wanted like different tiers to see how far Kramer would go. But they were really stunned when Kramer, you know, they didn't even finish the first offer or the proposition and Kramer said yes. So they were pretty, uh, pretty chuffed. Yeah, you can see the look on his face. At first, he's a bit shocked that Kramer jumps up and shakes his hand. But then when he realizes what's happened, he uh, he kind of gives this like smug little look over to his to his uh, colleagues and he's like, yep, we, we won this one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, they were in, they were in a brief scene. But uh, yeah, it was fun. And, and I like how it was the start of Jackie Charles's uh, unfortunate, uh, you know, legal events with uh, the core four. It's the very first yeah. one that, that stuffs up. Yeah, he doesn't get a win until the, the finale, really. Uh, no, even then. And, oh, no, yeah, yeah, I guess he gets, no, he gets, he gets Sidra, you mean? Yeah, but he, he doesn't win the case, but he certainly wins uh, someone else. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, that were all the secondary characters from the Maestro. When we come back, we're going to find out where the episode sits in our top ones or the episodes we have done so far, which is pretty much all of them in the series. And if any of today's secondary characters, I'm guessing Stephen has Chichio in there, is uh, in our top 20 secondary characters on the show. Gentlemen. <laughs> Gentlemen, come in. Now, we don't want to take up much of your time. Let's make this short and sweet. We're prepared to offer you all the free coffee you want at any of our stores throughout North America and Europe. Plus, I'll take it. All right, buddy, out of 164 episodes, this episode for me sits at 119. Where does it sit for you? Uh, yeah, around the same, 125. Yeah, cool. I mean, there was some fun moments. Um, you know, Larry David wrote the episode and it was very, like, once again, Larry David writing an episode, it does feel very, a bit Kirby, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the plots and the way that, uh, like, the dialogue works and stuff, which I like. Yeah, I, I found it I found it fun in parts. Like, I, obviously, it's the first appearance of Jackie Charles and Jackie's one of my favorite secondaries, so uh, he, uh, he helped rock it this uh, episode up the list a bit more than uh, what I expected with the maestro. I mean, the maestro itself isn't really a memorable episode in the Seinfeld canon, but it does introduce, of course, Bob Cobb and Jackie Charles and uh, Kramer, you know, uh, you know, we see the after effects of what happened in the postponement with his hot coffee. And uh, yeah, we see Jerry being too inquisitive that it uh, costs him 1200 US dollars to rent the flat in Tuscany or the house. And uh, yeah, George, while trying to be generous, it actually backfires indirectly. Yeah, I, uh, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I realized after this episode that Bob Cobb is probably, you know, maybe a few others would uh, would be as well, but he's one of my least favorite characters, secondary or primary. I just, something yeah, about him. Yeah, I can see why you wouldn't like him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just not funny. Like yeah. people's reactions to him uh, are funny. Like, you know, how jo- uh, how Jerry just thinks it's stupid, but him his, himself, eh, just something about him just really irritates me. I feel like they probably they probably could have done more with him. Like the maestro yeah. probably could have gone bigger. I feel like yeah. he was probably a bit too subdued. I reckon if they made him like really outlandish and loud and extroverted, maybe it'd be funnier. You know, like maybe like a real, I don't know. Like I feel like if he had, if he was more lively, he'd be funnier. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like he was just a touch, a touch subdued for my liking. But, yeah, he, if he went big, he would have been funny. With the whole maestro thing, but anyway, yeah, that's just that's just me. Yep, fair enough. Uh, do any of the secondaries appear in your top twenty? No, but where does Chichio sit for you? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't enter my top 20, but definitely if I had a top 30, it'd probably be in the mid-20s. Ah, sweet. Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, that was the maestro for Bidwabask. And uh, next week, Stephen, we are doing the non-fat yogurt from season five, our second last season five episode. Yes, and the first appearance of uh, Lloyd Braun. Yes, but not the Matt McCoy uh, version, <laughs> the other guy. Yeah, OG. Peter Lloyd. Callahan, I think his name was. Yeah. yeah. 
Callahan. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so we'll talk about him. And uh, there's also a, uh, well, a very prominent uh, real-life person that's uh, featured in the episode. We won't talk about, obviously, but he was the mayor of New York at the time. Uh, so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, the non-fat yoga and the events uh, of that episode, as well as Lloyd Braun. And uh, yeah, so that's our second last season five episode. Thank you so much for listening to us. We do appreciate it. And we, uh, we understand we're so close to the end, but we've had listeners who've listened to us from day one and people who've jumped on recently and uh, you know have told us they've enjoyed listening to us so uh, we do appreciate you know you listening to us no matter how far back you've gone we we do appreciate the support a lot yeah no it definitely means a lot uh if you want to you can email us bitwebarspodcast at gmail.com you can check out our socials in the show notes if you want to help us out you can rate us or review us on your podcast app of choice that would be awesome and you can support us financially as well we do have a paypal for one-off donations and a patreon for uh subscriptions and uh, if you do sign up to the patreon you will get access to our normal episodes like this one a week early as well as uh access to our bonus content like curbcast and uh our fictional season 10 oh sorry fictional season 11 uh where we've written a bunch of seinfeld episodes set in the modern day yeah that's right and uh with patreon you're probably thinking you guys are nearly finished with the podcast why should i sign up you know if you're on the fence we actually have plenty more stuff coming up so we'll mention that in the coming weeks and uh yeah so the patreon page will live on you know in, a, in another form so you'll still be supporting us into the future if you sign That's up today so don't feel like you've missed the boat exactly right and finally we do have the big seinfeld community online it's called seinfeldism it's a facebook group check that out and uh yeah lots of cool things coming up uh but until next week i am steven and i am ivan and we'll catch you all next week for the non-fat yogurt la donne mobile something something <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.